0: Welcome to the podcast that will teach you how to successfully invest in and build steady streams of passive income from the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Veteran real estate investors Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart from Mobile Home Park Academy will personally share with you the valuable lessons they've learned along their journey as mobile home park investors so that you too can learn how to build massive cash flow and huge profits from this extremely lucrative niche. So without further ado, let's welcome your hosts for today's show, Kevin Bupp and Charles DeHart.
1: Welcome guys and gals to the Mobile Home Park Investing Weekly Podcast, we'll provide all the information that you need to know to successfully locate, negotiate, close on and make huge profits from the lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. I'm your host, Kevin Bupp, and in today's show, we're going to be speaking with real estate investment expert, Tim Kelly. Tim is the founder and president of Kelly Housing Group a real estate investment firm that specializes in residential multifamily properties and mobile home parks. Tim is an active duty chief petty officer with the United States Navy and has served his country for 13 years. Now stationed on shore duty in Pensacola, Florida, he is fully pursuing his dream of owning and operating multifamily real estate and helping others realize their financial freedom goals. Tim has been investing in real estate since 2011, where he purchased his first single family residence with the intentions of forcing appreciation and flipping it for a profit. This particular investment was also his first house hack and he quickly learned the benefits of long-term buy and hold real estate were much more aligned with his own personal goals. And so guys, in today's show, we're going to dive deep into Tim's business model and see what makes him tick and also see how he's been able to build a successful real estate portfolio while currently on active duty status with the Navy. And the guy's got a full-time gig and he's been building a massive portfolio behind the scenes. So it's quite impressive. And so with that, I'm very anxious to get onto the show with Tim. But before we do, here's a quick word from our show sponsor, Sunrise Capital Investors. Hey guys, Kevin Bupp here with Sunrise Capital Investors. As you are hopefully already well aware, if you've been a listener for any period of time, My goal has always been to provide you with as much value as I possibly can through my two podcasts, Real Estate Investing for Cash Flow and the Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. As our audience continues to grow, literally, we've been downloaded millions of times by folks in over 125 countries. I've had thousands of people reach out looking to get involved in our niche. And that's the phenomenal niche of mobile home park investing. For those that don't know, I've been a full-time real estate investor for nearly 20 years now. And I've personally invested in and have owned apartment complexes various commercial properties, hundreds of single family rentals, and I've interviewed some of the most successful investors in just about every other asset class, and I've arrived at this one very simple conclusion. Mobile home parks are hands down the best investment I've found to date. Why? They provide investors with the best risk-adjusted returns out of any other real estate sector that I've seen. Investing in real estate can get complicated, and I really want to simplify this process for you. If you're someone who wants to diversify away from the uncertainty of Wall Street and allocate a percentage of your real estate portfolio to mobile home parks, but maybe you don't have the time nor the inclination to personally locate good deals yourself, then our team will do it for you. At Sunrise Capital Investors, our team specializes in the acquisitions and management of undervalued and highly profitable mobile home parks. And we are now providing accredited investors with an opportunity to participate directly alongside our team in our up and coming deals. And let me say this, I believe that we are hands down the best in our space at sourcing highly profitable off-market deals. That's really what makes us unique in this niche and as investment managers. As stewards of your capital, we truly are aligned with our investors. We've structured our investment fund so that we as a company are incentivized in the same way the investor is, which is through the performance of the investment itself. In addition, we wanna make sure that we not only make money for our investors, but that they understand how it's being made. That's why we provide our accredited partners with a private monthly podcast that walks them through the detailed updates on how their investment is performing. And we're very transparent, providing with the good, the bad, and the ugly at times. And so if you'd like to learn more about the partnership opportunities with our team here at Sunrise, please go visit com and click on the investors link to get signed up. It's absolutely free and you'll get placed on the priority list of when new opportunities come along. Also, feel free to call us at 833-CASHFLOW-WITHOUT-THE-O. Again, that's 833-CASHFLOW-WITHOUT-THE-O. And one of our investor relations team members will help you schedule an appointment to speak with one of our managing principals. If you have questions, go ahead and schedule a call and let's get on the phone and talk. And with that, guys, I'd like to leave with one last thought. From the time that I wake up in the morning to the time that I lay my head down the rest of the evening... My number one priority with everything I do, whether it be recording this podcast, working for our investors, helping each of you reach your investment goals, to providing a great experience to each of our residents who reside in our communities, is to add huge amounts of value to everyone that I come in contact with. Now, with that being said, I look forward to the opportunity of bringing value to you through Sunrise and through this podcast. Thank you for your time. Now, let's go and get back to the show. All right, guys now without further ado I'd like to welcome Tim Kelly to the show Tim how you doing today my friend
2: I'm doing great I am doing great I really appreciate you having me on the show yeah man.
1: so it doesn't look like you're on a ship right now right <laughs>
2: no yeah like like you said sunny Pensacola Florida I'm shore duty meaning you know I have a little bit of time where I won't be deployed and that's really why I'm going hard I'm, I'm fully pursuing real estate uh, you know outside of the full-time gig.
1: Okay, let's learn a little bit more about you, Tim. Uh, for those that haven't heard you before, don't know anything about your past. You're full time in the Navy. You've been building this portfolio for a number of years. Now let's go, let's go back to your introduction to real estate. Tell me a little bit, you know, how you got introduced into investment real estate, and then ultimately how you've been able to build such a significant portfolio uh, over these last few years since you started investing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So again, my name is Tim Kelly. Uh, stationed in Pensacola, Florida, I'm chief petty officer in the Navy, for 13 years. You know, actually, i you, you mentioned 2011, that was just, you know, where I used my VA loan, which is one of the best benefits that the military has for to leverage, uh, you know, mortgage for for your primary residence. So I bought a single family home in where I was stationed before in the Virginia Beach area, the, you know, the Hampton Roads area, of Virginia. Mm-hmm. I was in 2011 and I was in no means by any way, consider myself an investor at that point. I just wanted to become a homeowner, but I, I knew that you know I could move in, kind of force some appreciation. And then whenever I moved out, you know, sell it for some kind of profit. So, mm-hmm. But while I was living there, I actually was on a deployment in 2014 and a lot of free time. So I'm like, let's start reading. And never a big fan of reading, but once I started picking up Personal finance books. I'm a big fan of you know personal finance and building wealth. And the more I read, the more I realized real estate is like such a powerful vehicle. Um, so then that opened my mind up. That's where I you know stumbled across Rich Dad Poor Dad, and that's where I just started reading more and more books on real estate investing in general. And then I found you know the Bigger Pockets podcast and the whole Bigger Pockets community is great community. Um, they actually had me on their show few months back. So that was amazing too. Mm-hmm. And so the more I read about building wealth, you know, the more I learned about real estate, the more I learned about real estate, the hungrier I became because I'm like, this is so beneficial. People would be crazy to not put their capital in into real estate in some way. So we're going to fast forward to just a short uh, 18, 19 months ago where I actually closed on my first deal. And outside of my, you know, uh, my, my primary residence, I, and I actually did buy two pieces of, of raw land in Virginia Beach area before I moved here to Pensacola um, about 18 months ago. As soon as I, I moved here, I actually closed on a 4 plus, And I, I did that using an FHA 203K loan with the intentions of living in one unit, running out the other three. And that's where the house, whole house hacking thing was kind of I took action on that, and I thought that was an amazing idea for my first deal. And then, you know, after that, this my second deal was a forty-two unit apartment complex because during that time I, I realized multifamily real estate was was all I really wanted to do. Single family homes just didn't really appeal to me. I guess maybe I'm just too impatient for that cash flow. So. All I really focused on was multifamily, and so all I was looking at, uh, you know, were apartment deals and multifamily. So, you know, I bought a 42-unit apartment complex through a syndication with some friends. Then, after that, I purchased a, a threeplex, and then, you know, I shortly after that, a 27-space mobile home community. Then we uh, last month just closed on a 75-space mobile home park, and and now we have about 105 space pad, uh, 105 pad under contract. Here, not far away from us, just north of Mobile, Alabama. I mean, kind of that all happened within about an eighteen-month time frame. By the time I closed on my first fourplex till till now, that was you know less than two years ago. And I'm just just having fun. It's just you know, uh, sort you know, found a lot of people that I'm, I'm I was surrounded by who had this you know similar goals with me. And you know, I mean, that that's the key thing is partnering and surrounding yourself and uh, surrounding yourself with the right people. Um, yeah. So in a nutshell, that that's that's kind of how I got mm-hmm. into. It
1: where I am now. Okay. That's a whirlwind, man. 18 months. Jeez. You've done a lot in a short period of time and you're working a full-time job technically. So I want to hit on the point, which is where, really where the main topic of this show is going to come into play, and in that you were focused on residential. Initially, you, did that, you know you bought that first property, and then you bought that 42-unit apartment complex. And then you shifted your focus after that 42-unit. Well, no, you bought the, tri- the triplex after the 42-unit, and then you <laughs> shifted onto mobile home parks, correct? Yeah. And then the Triplex was actually just another other house hack
2: that I used my VA yeah. on again, uh, which I'm currently living in. So it's just a single family home with the d in the back. So just taking advantage of that house hacking, wealth building tool.
1: So let's talk about that shift of focus from multifamily, because it. it sounds like you did, you're did you doing fairly well with that 42 unit, but the shift of focus from that multifamily over to mobile home parks. You know, What was your first introduction to mobile home parks? And ultimately, why did you decide to change your course?
2: So, you know, for those of who, who, who kind of know anything about commercial and multifamily over the last 12 months, even closer to 24 months, the cap rates for for apartment complexes across the country have slowly gone down. And that's for the reason being there's so much so much investor activity going towards that multifamily and so many investors that are going after apartment complexes that you know it's and obviously the market conditions and, and obviously with the interest rates slowly going up, but your, your capitalization rate or your return on investment you know, for apartment complexes has gone down. So we're like, you know, it's it, there's still deals out there but they're just harder to find. You got to dig deeper and deeper. And we actually have, I have another apartment building under contract right now. So they're, they still, they're still out there and they're, they're still around if you dig deeper and you have the right relationships with brokers. But mobile home parks was introduced to us because we're like, well, what else could we invest in? Because we really wanted to stay in the affordable housing space. And then I kind of just started listening to your podcast and a couple other podcasts and reading a few books on mobile home parks and articles and stuff. And I'm like, well, well, look, why don't why don't we just hone our focus into this? And, you know, the partners that I'm with now, also two other active military guys, and we formed the Affordable Housing Group. And that's all we're looking at now is mobile home communities. and. Hmm. More I learned about mobile home communities, the more I realized how lucrative the asset type is, and it's an amazing asset type. And I think some investors are getting smarter now. They're realizing mobile home parks are don't really associate with the stigma that most people have—that you know they're a terrible asset class to own. You know, your residents are all going to be drug dealers or criminals or people who are unemployed, and that's not the case at all. So. Again, it's just education. The more you learn about them, and the more you realize how it's uh, there's so many opportunities available.
1: You bring up a good point there. A lot of people have that they've got that negative stigma in their head, stuck in their brain about what mobile home parks are. And I always like to you know give the comparison of you know in the Let's talk about multifamily apartments. You know, you've got the really nice A grade, newer built, you know, better location of town, best location in town. Probably has mostly white collar that lives in it. And then the other end of that spectrum, you've got. The D-grade, which are probably war zone type areas, a place that you wouldn't want to send your worst enemy at night, right? And then you got everything in between. You got the the Bs and Cs of the war, which are just a good old, hardworking class group of folks. Same thing exists in mobile home parks, right? You've got very high-end A-class manufactured housing communities down here in Florida. We call them lifestyle communities. They're, you know, palm tree lined streets. They have three swimming pools. They have a full-time activities director. They're not affordable at all. I mean, the, the, the folks that live there choose to live there. And then you got the other end of the spectrum, which are, you know, in our space, it's one to five star. So those really high end, which would be a class would be a five star. And on the other end of the spectrum would be a one star or less. Those are the war zone parks. Those are the places that you just don't want to go at night, right? Full of the drug, sex, and rock and roll that you just mentioned. And then there's everything in between, right? There's the ones in between that just have the good, hardworking folks that want to provide the the best for their kids. They want to send their kids to good schools, and they want an affordable place to live and raise their family. That's what we focus in, and it sounds like that's what you guys focus in as well. And it's unfortunate that we have the negative stigma attached because it does it creates some challenges. There's also some benefits to it, I guess, because it scares some people away, right? <laughs> it keeps some people out of this space and creates this artificial barrier to entry, which exists, which really shouldn't. So yeah. talk to me a little bit about that 27 Space Park. That was your very first park that you purchased. Give us an idea of general location, how you found the deal, what you paid for it, and you know, what really got you excited about it?
2: Let's see. It was actually a deal that I, that I met through a relationship that I built last Christmas. I just stumbled across a large portfolio of, of mobile home parks, like 200 or 300 spaces total. And I, I had the name. I saw the name and the number on there. I called this individual. He ended up being a broker owner. And so I started building a relationship with him and said, Hey, you know, we're really interested in the space. We've been doing a lot of multifamily stuff. We're shifting our focus. And then... You know, it turns out that the, the broker owner that I start, started talking to had like this, this 200 space portfolio that he was going to completely redevelop. And they bought this 27 space part. Just to pull out the salvageable units from their park that they were going to redevelop and put those other units into that were still salvageable, and so they were actually looking for a buyer for that twenty-seven space park. And that's like it seems like it was a pretty decent starter park for us, you know, for, to get we got our first deal under our belt, and and so we kind of went after it, and and believe it or not, I mean, we got it at, a, at an incredible price. There was about eight pads and eight homes on there that were, that were occupied. And there's only, there were only actually 11 developed spaces. So it was about half occupied with the amount of developed spaces. And the rest of the, the 16 pads had to, had to be developed, which we're in work, currently doing now. We're, we're in the process of, of stabilizing that park as we speak. But I mean, it's, it's in a, in a great metropolitan area. It's in like that perfect, just north of Mobile, Alabama, which is a very much growing and there's a lot happening in that market. Uh, it's, you know, one of the best cities on the whole Gulf for importation, and exportation, and there's a mm-hmm. very uh, large aviation community. There's plenty of Walmarts all over that area. And Walmart is a good sign if, if it's in about five miles uh, That's one of our key market indicators. If Walmart, planted, a you know one of their stores and within five miles, we we already like that market. So, we you know we got excited about it, and you know we kept the relationship with uh, with these guys that that are going to redevelop that park. And then yeah, I mean, and we actually went to a, a city hall meeting uh, a couple weeks ago to you know introduce ourselves to the to the city to the city council and the planning and development board. And it, that's that, that's always key, you know, that's, that's now part of our due diligence process is build those relationships with the city council, specifically economic development and planning and zoning. So they know exactly what you're doing, what your intentions are, And, you know, having those relationships are key because if if you need, you know, an electrician or if you need somebody, you don't have those relationships yet in that market, they're there that can help you provide, you know, those people. So, yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, that's that's kind of where we're at with that one and we're we're, we're excited about it. It's definitely an upward trend here.
1: That doesn't sound like low-hanging fruit. It sounds like you took on a little bit of a challenge there. I mean, uh, developing the remaining pads, I mean, that's a little bit of an uphill battle. It sounds like it was already approved and zoned for those additional pads. But you guys, just give some clarity to the listeners, meaning that you have to develop those remaining pads means that you've got to go put, so you sit in Alabama, I don't think they require like concrete pads or anything like that, but you basically have to put all the infrastructure in place at each one of those respective sites, Correct.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like that's that's phase two. Currently, we're in phase one. Once phase one is complete, we're actually gonna see what kind of rates we can get for to re, to refinance it before we go and dump a whole bunch more capital into that redevelopment because that redevelopment would actually take a lot of leveling. It's it's kind of got some trees and it's kind of on a downward slope a little bit. So they probably have to. It would probably take a little bit more than 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 we would expect. To get that completely developed and ready to occupy pads, I know there's a demand for you know tenants and there's a demand for housing and plenty of space there. But we're going to complete phase one. We're going to get those 11, 11 spaces completely occupied and our lot rent in there. We're actually getting three hundred and forty dollars lot rent, which is which is great. Wow. We're all going to be uh, tenant owned homes. And so once we get that, we're actually going to get some terms from local lenders uh, to see what a refinance would look like. And then we'll kind of go from there. And we're, we're not committed to redeveloping those yet, but we, we just kind of want to see where we're at. Once we get all the 11 spaces completely developed or completely occupied, that's, you know, then we'll move on to phase two and redevelop this. Right.
1: Thing. Is it city water, city sewer? I'm assuming.
2: It is city water, but it's on septic
1: tanks. So Septics. Sure. Got it. Got it. Okay. Sounds good. And how'd you guys fund that? It sounds like that probably you paid cash for it, I'm guessing, or got a hard money loan.
2: We ended up just getting a couple lines of credit through some banks that we had relationships with. So we didn't actually have to get a a like a commercial loan or raise any capital for that. It was all through just cash and lines of credit that we had. But yeah, that was for that particular deal.
1: Okay. So you're still working on that one. And then ultimately, simultaneously, you're looking for other deals. I think you said the second park was a was it 75 spaces. So a lot yeah. larger than the first.
2: Yeah, that one closed just a few weeks ago, and that one's in a completely different market. That's in Northwest Indiana, not too far outside of Chicago in Calumet City, which is actually in the Gary, Indiana yeah. neighborhood uh, zip code. But yeah, 75 Spaces, uh, pretty excited about that. There's not a whole lot to do with that, um, except for actually utilize the individual water meters that the prior owner was paying for all the water, even though there was sub-meter already set up and in place. Which is kind of still blowing our minds, but we ended up actually also raising capital for that. We paid cash for that. We had the intentions of using a commercial loan and, and having commercial debt, which we had lined up and we were just gonna raise the thirty percent equity that was required to put you know to close the deal. Mm-hmm. But the financing fell through at the last minute because we trusted the wrong lender. They they sounded excited about the deal and, and the last minute they backed out because um, they just weren't as they they didn't do a mobile home park deal and they you know, realize the last minute that they didn't want to take the risk of doing it. Cause if you don't know anything about parks, you're, you know, especially as a lender, you're not going to want to do it. So, and then last minute we had to raise, you know, another four or 500,000 just to get the deal closed. And, and we ended up actually syndicating that deal uh, through accredited and sophisticated investors. And we got that deal done with basically all cash.
1: Okay. There's actually a lesson there that I want to make it a point of, of mentioning you know, having that lender back out the last minute, you mentioned a key point there is that they had never done a mobile home park before. And so tell me how I know that, you know, that's the case. I mean, that, that, that exists out there and it happens more often than not because I've gone through it myself and it's painful and it puts you in a really, really tough situation, especially your money's hard at that point in time. If that's literally all you have that you're working with, like you've literally saved up money for a long time, you need to make one deal work and then a bank backs out on you and you don't have a plan B in place, it could put you in a really tough and challenging situation. So, there's three qualifying questions that one might not apply to a lot of the listeners, but there's three qualifying questions that I ultimately ask any bank that I'm calling on. And most of this really applies to like regional or community sized banks. We have some good commercial mortgage brokers that specialize in our space that we work with on deals that are typically, you know, a a million and a half or $2 million loan amount or larger, but on the smaller stuff, a lot of times you're, you have to kind of resort to the local community banks or regional banks to do your lending for you. And they're hit or miss. In fact, more missed than hit. And so the three qualifying questions I ask right out of the gate as I'm making these phone calls or as I'm going in and meeting bankers is number one, first and foremost, have you ever loaned on a mobile home park? Because ultimately guys, loan officers are salespeople. Right. I mean, they don't make the decision to a loan committee or a credit officer. They don't make the decisions. It's their job to close as many deals as possible. And I promise you that most of them will tell you that, oh, yeah, we can do that. We've done everything. We've done all types of deals, you know, whatever. You know, we could do anything. B.S. Right. So if they've never done a mobile home park, don't be their guinea pig. Doesn't mean that they don't have the best intentions. Doesn't mean that they might ultimately not be be able to pull it off for you. but. Don't be their guinea pig because you might end up in a situation like Tim did and like I have in the past as well. The second, the second question, qualifying question, if, if we make it past the first one, right? So if they say, Yeah, we've done parks before, I make them tell me a little bit more about the parks and how long ago it was that they finance these. If it was like one, then I'm still a little you know concerned. But if they've done like a handful of them or a dozen and they've done them recently, then you know, that pretty much satisfies my needs. The second qualifying question is this is assuming that it's out of state or out of market, meaning that it's either a completely different MSA or a completely different state from where you're based. A lot of local and regional banks, they want the borrower to be in the same market as the asset itself. And so don't waste your time going down a rabbit hole if, if ultimately that's going to be a hang up for them or a hang up for their credit officer or for their, their credit committee. So ask right away, like, hey, I'm in Florida. This park's located in Indiana. Is that going to be a challenge? you know, just get out of the way. If it's a challenge, move on to another bank because there are community and regional banks that don't necessarily have that as a barrier. And then the third one, which might not apply to a a lot of the listeners is, you know, we have a syndicated fund structure where there's a general partner and a limited partner relationship where the general partners, if it's a full recourse deal, only the general partners actually sign on the recourse of the loans. The limited partners do not. Some smaller banks or even regional banks don't understand that structure or they think that everyone that has ownership ultimately needs to sign as a guarantor. Well, I could promise you that our limited partners are not gonna be signing. So we make sure that we get that out of the way as well. So if you intend on syndicating a deal, whether it's just a one deal on its own or a fund structure like we do, you need to have that conversation. You need to get it out there in the open. So those are the three qualifying questions that if it's a new bank we've never dealt with, most of the time, again on a community level scale, we always get those out of the way right from the get go. If anyone you know is, it gives us an uncomfortable feeling as far as their answer, we move on to the next bank. Move on to the next bank. So, in any that's event, I, I, I wanted to make it a point to bring that up. So, I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you, Tim.
2: <laughs> no, that's, that's such great advice, um, and, and you know we learned those lessons as well. Now we have relationships with, with with lenders who we know have mobile home parks in their portfolio. They're still looking for mobile home parks in their portfolio, and, and they know how to underwrite them and I mean, for your listeners, man, that's that, that, if you guys just follow what Kevin just told you about and kind of just have those as your proper due diligence during, you know, your lender time, that'll save you so much, so much energy and, and potential loss and time and money. Yeah.
1: I mean, once you get to the $2 million loan amount, it's a different world. It's a lot easier to get financing. It's a lot easier for a commercial loan broker to want to spend their time and energy on helping you place the loan. We've got some good relationships with some loan brokers that that specialize in the space to where we've done enough deals with them to where we take them something that's like right now I got a, one of my guys is working on a loan amount that thinks like one point three which is typically he if he had just taken that deal to him and he didn't know you from you know from Adam he would have said no I don't have an interest but he's helping us place it because we obviously give him a lot of other business but it's a lot of legwork for them to it's just as much legwork if not more to do smaller deals and place them than it is the larger deals and so. Loan brokers typically make 1% of the actual uh, of the loan amount and so it's, it's, it's not a huge amount of money when you're talking about like a, a million dollar deal. It's just not. Not for the amount of energy they have to put into it. So I want to talk to you about the park-owned home component, right? that evil word, park-owned homes. Some people love it and they embrace it. I just got back from a conference up in uh, Chicago, went to NCC, which is one of MHI's conferences, always have a great time going to the different conferences in our industry and and always have always run the conversations where i'm talking to a park owner that that fully embraces the park owned home model they love it in fact they've really have started moving their business towards that model completely because they feel they have the utmost control over it they like it they feel like it makes more money i feel quite the opposite about it I feel like it's incredibly time-consuming, management-intensive, and you don't necessarily have more control over your residents. You've got a more transient resident base and lots of other downsides to it. But I really fall in the middle of the road with Park owned Homes because if you want to be in this business, you have to succumb to the fact that you're going to own some of the trailers, either a lot or some. Some parks you won't own any, but... You got to be comfortable with that side of the business, but we always work a plan and try to execute it accordingly to sell off any of the park owned homes that we have and try to get more of a homeowner mentality. That's who we want. We want long time residents that, that stay that are sticky and those that rent are just like apartment renters where, you know, their typical length length of stay is maybe 12 months. Maybe you get 24 months out of them, but typically it's uh, a year and they move on. So, The question, Tim, is how do you feel about park-owned homes and are they a part of your future?
2: (laughs) We are so much in line with with you. I mean... Uh, And and your your viewpoint and and of course we we, we do own some homes but we are in the process of of creating more homeowners in the community because they're on some kind of lease option or mortgage mortgage you know to us and and we're we're creating homeowners because that has that more pride of ownership they take more pride they you know it's an improved community and we we absolutely prefer to have 100% tenant owned homes in our park where we just collect the lot rent. They are pretty much, um, they have the burden of all the expenses, the taxes and everything. Whereas they again they'll have they'll they'll have more pride. So it's a win win situation, you know, I think it's more of a long term tenant even even though you your mobile home, uh, it's they're not very mobile. I mean it's it's a process for those of you that don't really know, you can't just like hook it up to the back of a of a pickup truck and, and tow it off. It's, it's not really how it works. It takes, you know, four, five, six, sometimes seven thousand bucks. Just to you know, move a, a part, move a home after the skirting is is removed and replaced, and and all the utilities and infrastructure hooked back up. So it's not very easy to move, and that that's what another reason why we like this this asset class. But yeah, to, to answer your question, man, we, we prefer one hundred percent tenant owned homes, and if most yeah. parts we buy do not have that, but we're striving to, to get to that point um, by creating homeowners.
1: Got it. Got it. So you and a third park as well, correct?
2: Yeah. You, so we're in contract so, with a third. Yes. We're under contract. Actually with okay. four, my, my partners and I that are in this group, they have the one that actually, as we were creating the partnership, they closed on. So I actually don't have any share in that, but I've dealt with it and I've learned from that park, learned from their mistakes. So within our partnership, we're on our fourth.
1: Um, okay. And so yeah, the, the the yeah the reason for that question is I want to ask about it's been a short time frame, but you know you're you're know, going on this fourth park here, but you have three that you've been involved in, and so what type of challenges? large challenges have you guys faced being new to this asset class. There's really the the unknowns that pop out. No matter how much theoretical knowledge you have in a particular subject or space, you know, give it mobile home parks, uh, once you actually start buying them, there's obviously always, you know, those unexpecteds or those gotcha moments. So talk to me about some of the challenges that you've run into and, and how you've ultimately overcome them.
2: I think I you know I slightly mentioned it before this park here in in just north of mobile alabama you know we did not talk to the city and the economic development office and planning and zoning before we closed on the deal so i think that was a, a mistake that we learned from and now that is incorporated in our due diligence like i mentioned before to where you know before we even close on the deal we build the relationships with economic development and planning And in the city now, we have a really good relationship with the mayor, with the city inspector. I mean, and we essentially, according to their how their ordinances are are written for the city, the city inspector has to actually be there and approve any moves of homes going in and out of any of the parks in the whole entire city. So we essentially need his approval because then we have to go through him. So there, because there has to be police escorts if any homes are moved in and out of the parks. And, And you know, because of the wind restrictions, a lot of the a lot of the homes. Are actually condemned and grandfathered in, and if they're moved, then it's illegal to replace. But yeah. they're kind of grandfathered in in place, you know. But once you move them, it's you know they're they're condemned and they're, they'd be illegal to to resit anywhere else. Um, so I think the biggest lesson is to make you know build a relationship with the city with the city hall, specifically economic development and zoning and planning so they know exactly what you're doing and what your intentions are, especially if you know other park owners in their cities aren't like us. There's, many of them are slumlords, many of them are mom and pops who don't really take care of their parks and a lot of these cities think that that's how all park owners are. So they assume that new park owners coming in are just going to allow bad tenants to, to occupy their, their home. So make, build that relationship with them and let them know what you're, what you're planning on doing, what your intentions are, that you actually per, you're actually you trying to improve their community, evict the people who are not paying, and try to bring in a better tenant base. That's probably the other one. I guess you know, the other thing is ensure you're, you're doing your due diligence on the infrastructure, specifically if you're septic tanks. Get a, a a health inspector in there, or someone certified and licensed to work on and inspect and clean out the septic tanks to to have that completely under control before you close the deal as well. And that's another thing that that we definitely learned as well.
1: Did you, so? So you guys did not do an inspection on the septic systems, but you ultimately ran into a challenge with it. Is that what I'm gathering? Yeah, so we that's another thing that
2: we are like working through right now. We did not have them completely inspected. We did, we did have documentation provided to us that they do that they were, you know, cleaned out on an annual basis before we bought it, but we did not have any experts actually go look at them. And now, you know, due to what the city inspector found, he, you know, he discovered that there's actually the the way our the way it's set up and configured is that there's two units per septic tank and initially they were afraid that that's not enough capacity but we have learned that the way it was designed there's enough capacity to hold you know enough enough septic disposal for two homes into just one tank and mm-hmm. i know a lot of parks there's one septic tank per and do you do you have any parks where there's where there's one septic tank for multiple homes
1: we have one community that has uh, one tank per two homes yep yep yeah, exactly and that's how ours is set up
2: and so that, that that's the only issue that the inspector came up because he didn't want them to overflow or anything like that. To, you know, because obviously with the, all the transmittable diseases that could be flown around if that thing overflows. So that that was the only thing we didn't confirm beforehand. But it's I mean everything's smooth, you know, from this point. But yeah, just completely understand and know you know what you what you're getting into and make sure everything is certified and all you know all the pedestals, all the utilities are are inspected and certified and tagged and they should be locked. You know, if the doors are, if you could open and close the doors, that's a huge hazard. Kids running around the park, playing with the boxes and the pedestals. If if they can open them up, that's a huge hazard that could become fatal and turn into a huge liability. So, and that's another thing, you know, just understand exactly what you guys are getting into, and 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 the more you, you know, conduct your due diligence steps, the more you're going to learn how to.
1: Okay, good deal. How are you guys managing this process? So I know Mobile is not too far away at all from where you're at in in Pensacola, but Chicago is. And I'm not sure exactly where the uh, the newest addition, the park that you're going to be closing on here shortly, where that one's located. But how are you guys uh, handling the management, let's say, of uh, the Chicago one?
2: So the Chicago one, we um, sat down with a number of different third-party management companies in that area who specifically focus on mobile home communities, and and we we chose the best. So there's a third-party company that's that's managing that for us while we're here, and we're we're very pleased with how things have going, have been going so far. And then for our deal here in uh, North of Mobile, it's about an hour away, so it's close enough to where if we need to go there we can but there was a local individual who's who managing a bunch of parks in the area and and we chose him he's doing a great job and he basically is there to collect the rent and help enforce the rules and help coordinate the moves and he has relationships with a lot of people in that area and he was referred to us from uh, the, the guys who actually brought us this deal and offered us this opportunity because this same individual manages some of their parks as well that are okay. Food.
1: Good deal. And are all these deals that, uh, that that you either own or in contract on, are they all sourced through brokers?
2: Yes. That, I mean, that is how we, how we find the majority of our deals. We've ever, never actually done any kind of marketing campaign or, you know, sending yellow letters. It's just all through broker relationships and just, or other relationships with people that we know through, you know, our managers and, and people that we know, um, who understand that we're looking for mobile home parks or people through our RIA, the real estate investment association locally, they know where the mobile home park got. So if they hear of any mobile home parks that are being sold or off market, they, they kind of just throw them our way. And that's, that's probably our favorite way to, to locate deals. It's just through relationships uh, yeah. you know, managers, brokers and, and other people in the industry.
1: So, what does the long-term strategy look like for you and your partners, as far as the mobile home park space is concerned? I mean, at some point in time, uh, I'm assuming I don't know how much capital you guys have personally, but it sounds like you've been using a lot of your own money. At some point, you get tapped out. I mean, do you guys have grander visions of growth, or, or do you just plan on buying a few and uh, ultimately kind of replacing your your full-time income?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna keep buying and buying and buying until uh, you know until the until so we can't find any deals. And, and I don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon, especially being in this space. Fortunately, we have, you know, the more deals that we've done, the more the more capital investors have, you know, come our way and have been interested in what we're doing. And that's why we were able to, you know, pay cash for this last park that we bought um, through our syndication. You know, there's, there's so many people out there who wanna passively invest in, in commercial real estate. And sometimes, you know, we, we just have to educate these investors on mobile home communities because most of them just don't know, you know, all the benefits. And once we sit down and talk to them about our business model and what we're doing and, and all the benefits of owning mobile home communities, more and more people are interested in them. So, I mean, we don't plan on throttling back anytime soon. We're going to, you know, this park that we have under contract is about two hours north of us. It's in Troy, Alabama. There's a big university up there. And it's a very solid market that, that we're really, um, Really excited about. And, you know, once we get that deal done, we're, you know, probably going to maybe take down the the next larger one. And so, yeah, we're not throttling back anytime soon. We're going to kind of just keep doing what we're doing and take it one day at a time.
1: Is that one in Troy? how, How large is that park? That's about
2: 105 space.
1: Okay. Good deal. Good deal. Is is, is your occupancy, is it fairly strong today or is there a big infill project there?
2: No, it's definitely stable. I think it's, you know, between 80 and 90% occupied. Uh, We actually haven't been there yet. We're still, it's been just everything uh, through financing and a paper, paper shuffle so far. So we haven't visited the park yet. We've seen pictures and videos and looked at all the documents and we uh, submit an offer and we got under contract officially. So um, our due diligence will probably start, this weekend or maybe beginning of next week, we'll, we'll actually travel up there and, and we'll um you know have our have our checklists of everything that we need to look at. But per the documents it's between eighty ninety percent occupied, so there's a lot of upside to it and, and it's just again, it's another mom and pop owned park. They've owned it for I think the last like twenty five or thirty years and they're just they're just done and, and they they're ready to kind of sit back and, and retire. So perfect opportunity for us.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Is that one public utilities or private?
2: That one's city water, city sewer.
1: Okay, good deal, yeah. good deal. It's already already submetered, or is there some upside there to submeter back the other uh, water and sewer costs?
2: That's already submetered for electrical and for water as well, and you and the um, utilities are already being paid for by the tenants. But okay. there's growth for the for rents. A lot of rents are a little bit on the market, and and of course it's not at, at full hundred percent occupancy, so we will just yeah. do
1: and what are you guys looking for? I mean, as far as what's your criteria, not necessarily cap rate, but cash on cash return, or maybe it maybe it is cap rate on the front and going. And I typically try to just look at the cash on cash return because a lot of these parks aren't being run all that great. A lot of stuff we buy is value-add. So applying a cap rate to it on the front side, you're not really doing yourself justice, uh, but we want to know the, what we truly can achieve in a 12-month span as far as an actual uh, annualized cash on cash return. So wh- what kind of criteria do you guys have as far as a buying side? Yeah, I mean we're we're not we're not looking at anything uh, unless we know we
2: can get it under contract at a double digit cap rate, mm-hmm. and that's that's mainly because we know we have investors that that we want to provide extraordinary returns to, also in the double digits. So you know, with interest rates going up, I mean the deals that we're looking at, and then most of them that are still listed above a ten cap, but well, I mean our our offers are you know between a ten and and twelve cap, and and we wow. usually won't buy a deal unless it's over well over a 10 cap with room to grow you know because we need that arbitrage and the difference in the interest rates especially if we're getting long-term commercial debt and it's you know interest rates are are now you know above five percent closer to six percent on on some long-term commercial debt especially for you know the the fannie and, and freddie institutional debt that we're that we're looking at now you know The cash on cash returns that we're offering our investors are, are no less than eight, but we're, we're, we're really shooting for that 10% annualized return, cash on cash. Plus they would get also equity, um, in the deal as well.
1: Sure. Sure. Okay. Very, very cool. Well, it sounds like you guys are doing great things. Uh, very exciting. And it sounds like you made the right choice. So as you obviously know, due to this podcast and everything else uh, that we've talked about that we love mobile home parks, so it's our space. And so it's a little bit of a biased uh, opinion, but in any event, I think you made the right decision by switching teams yeah, <laughs> and going from multifamily absolutely. to uh, to mobile home parks. And so what I'd like to ask of you Tim, before we wrap things up here is if you had any, you know, being that you, you've been buying parks now for about a little over a year now, if you had any final words of wisdom that you could leave with our either new or aspiring investors that are listening in here that could motivate and inspire them as they progress in their mobile home park investing career or buying their first park what would those words of wisdom be So you know
2: mindset is everything I'm you know I I can go so deep in, into mindset and and making sure you're surrounding yourself with the right people so you can be in the right mindset and you know w- waking up with with intent you know every every morning waking up knowing that you're going to you're going to complete certain tasks and accomplish certain goals and just crush the day ahead of you because there's a lot of negativity floating around and there's a lot of people that, you know, want to see you fail. So knowing that you're going to be hitting some, some obstacles and, and some brick walls, keep it in the back of your head that this is all just part of the process and just don't stop moving forward. Never, ever, ever stop moving forward. Always figure out a way to kind of keep pushing that needle towards your goal. So you can inch more and more every single day towards your goals. Even if it's just one thing that you're accomplishing that day, to get towards your goals and again mindset is everything are you are you are you kind of getting up and do you have a morning routine where you're brain feeding your mind feeding the right information whether it's you know you're reading scripture or you're reading it you know listening to a motivating podcast or going for a run or getting a good workout in to where you're starting the day off right and you can kind of crush the day ahead i think mindset is crucial and that all really depends and, and is going to be dictated on on who you surround yourself with and and the content that you are allowing be absorbed um, mm-hmm. into your mind. And you know, that's, I, I can go so many different ways with that, but I think we'll leave it at
1: that. No, no that's fantastic. And for those uh, Tim that want to learn more about you and your company, where can he come find you? You
2: can reach out to me anytime, go to the That's, that's my personal website. You can go to kellyhousinggroup.com. That's the real estate website. And then, you know, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, just, you know, the Timothy Kelly. And then, you know, Instagram at the Timothy Kelly. Facebook is Tim Kelly. Or don't even hesitate. If you want to just shoot me a text or give me a call, I'd love to kind of link up with you and, and help you out. Or, or if you're interested in investing with us, area code 847 Reach out anytime.
1: Okay, fantastic. Well, Tim, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you for joining us here today. It's been awesome hearing about your journey and uh look forward to to following your success, man. Just, I guess, keep doing what you're doing because you're making magic happen.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It was an absolute pleasure uh, being, a, being a guest on the show, Kevin.
1: All right, guys. Well, guys, thanks for joining us again today. Uh, just want to thank you for always being here. We wouldn't, Tim and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you, if, you, if it wasn't for you guys joining in. So really appreciate your time. We're gra- uh, grateful for each and every one of you. And until we meet again next week, make it a great one.
0: Congratulations for taking the necessary steps to achieving massive success through the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Be sure to visit our website, mobilehomeparkacademy.com to download your free digital ebook version of the 21 biggest mistakes investors make when buying their first mobile home park and how you can avoid them. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to our free monthly mobile home park investing newsletter, which is jammed full of valuable tips, tricks, and strategies to help you accelerate your path to success as a mobile home park investor. More information about this podcast and its hosts can be found by visiting mobilehomeparkacademy.com.